what mothers do all the time now is the default is guilt. It's beating ourselves up. It's feeling not quite good enough and overthinking so many things. Welcome to Teach Me Something New. I'm your host, Britt Morin, and this is a production of iHeartRadio and Britt Co. All my life, everyone's told me I should focus on being good at one thing. But the truth is, I'm curious about a lot of things. But how do you learn about everything? The answer? Make the world's best experts teach you in less than an hour. So come along with me as we all learn something new. Hey, everyone. Hope you're ready to go on a journey with me because today I'm inviting you all along for a family therapy session. We have the incomparable Dr. Wendy Mogul here. She is a clinical psychologist with 35 years of experience guiding families through the ups and downs of parenting. She's also a New York Times bestselling author and host of the podcast, Nurture versus Nurture. Not only is she here to help me navigate some personal parenting issues I'm experiencing, but she's also got an incredible point of view on nurturing your own inner child and common misconceptions about raising children. Even if you're not a parent, there's so much great wisdom Dr. Mogul has to share that's applicable to us all. So keep listening as I welcome Dr. Wendy Mogul to the show. Dr. Mogul, you're here. Thank you so much for coming on. Brett, I'm really happy to be here, happy to meet you. And I know that you have a five and a six-year-old son, and I am a tremendous fan of little boys. Oh, good. Well, I have a lot of questions about those boys that we will dive into today. Yes, because these days they're having a rougher time. And one thing that I noticed through the pandemic, so I've been doing therapy with parents the whole time, the boys had a harder time than the girls Whoa, did with why? virtual schooling. Oh, virtual schooling. Why is that? In part because they love so much, not that girls don't, but boys love to move around mm. and their mirror neurons need to vibrate at a pretty <laughs> fast pace. And the screen, as opposed to their posse around them was a harder way for them to learn. And the girls felt free to kind of complain about the whole situation. And a lot of the boys turned in on themselves older than your sons, you know, the middle school boys and the high school boys. How did your boys do with it? Okay. Well, when March and April 2020 hit, we did the remote school thing. I was the one co-teaching alongside Zoom. And it was a disaster to your point because my older kid could sit still, but was just not engaged. And my younger kid just doesn't sit still. He is a kinetic human being. He needs to be moving very quickly at all times of the day. So I was feeling like such a failure of a parent for so much of this last year because working from home and the attention separation of work versus your kids, I know every parent out there can sympathize. But yeah, I decided to work in a room within my house so that my kids could actually set up this little school in my office. And yeah, we tried to really make it feel like a school experience so that they weren't missing out. And 
Yeah, I feel a little bit of guilt for that because I know not every kid had that experience. But at the same time, I was using my entrepreneur brain to just solve a problem. And that was the best way I knew how to solve it. And this is what I hear from almost every family that I talk to, both on the podcast and in my practice, which is that reflex apology. And it's appropriate because what we want to do is to figure out how to use our resources, our talent, our energy, our connections to write the scales on the planet and at the same time to provide nurturance and zest and invigoration for our own immediate family. And what mothers do all the time now is the default is guilt. It's beating ourselves up. It's feeling not quite good enough and overthinking so many things. And the paradox of the pandemic was that we needed to make decisions every single day in order to stay alive. And people did not have the resources they needed. We saw that all around us. So it was a combination of survival and also massive grief. Mm -hmm. The advantage of children, and I sort of compare boys to dogs. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> you just keep them fed and let them run and they're happy. Yeah, That's exactly. what I've heard about boys. <laughs> right. And I wrote an article for the New York Times many years ago called Who's a Good Boy about how if we could only speak as nicely to our sons as we do to our dogs. <laughs> so true. Because so much of the time we are prodding them, nagging them, criticizing them, directing them. And I often say to parents, I just want you to note how many times in a given day you are telling your children what to do or uh, making suggestions for improvement, just to track it. This is a hot topic in our house, actually, because I found that I have become the parent who just keeps things in order. I'm probably 90% of all the moms you talk to <laughs> running the logistics, the operations, the schedules, we got to do bedtime or bath time or else the mood tomorrow is not going to be good and they're not going to show up for school the way that they should. And my husband is sort of like, yeah, they'll go to bed when they go to bed. And so I'm always the bad guy in this marriage, <laughs> in this family, because I need them to follow these systems or else like all hell breaks loose when there's no structure. But I don't know if I'm just being like a controlling parent. So here's the way to turn it upside down. I want the boys, and I don't say this about girls because they do it with too much alacrity and then they end up really unhappy in middle school and high school, but I want the boys to be their inner bad guy so that they begin to take responsibility for some of the things that you're taking responsibility for. And in a minute, I'd like to talk about what those things might be. And at the same time, I want them to have more freedom than they have and more adventure and more excitement. And as you so beautifully put it, just feed them and let them run. And you said about your <laughs> younger son, a kinetic human being, he never stops moving. The kids have become indoor kids. 
they are missing out on all kinds of good risks and good danger. I want them to have lots of danger, but more purpose and to be better family citizens. So tell me one thing that you manage or remind or are sort of in charge of and they, with some ambivalence and annoyance, follow through on that they might be taking care of on their own. Oh, God. How do I pick one thing? One for each of the boys. (laughs) Okay. Well, we can get into eating because that's a whole topic. They have like three food groups, three meals, actually, I should say. (laughs) It's like chicken nuggets, mac and cheese, and like bread or Cheerios, let's say. And they're hardly ever willing to try something else. So my youngest, let's use Austin in this case, he just turned five. I've done the trick where I use cookie cutters. I've tried to make it fun. I have dips, but I like really want him to expand his palate because I'm afraid that he's not getting proper nutrition. So here's the whole continuum of children's eating preferences. And I have a chapter in my book, The Blessing of a Skin Knee, called The Blessing of Food. And it's all about this. Okay. Children go through eating phases. And I noticed the chicken nuggets, the mac and cheese, and the bread, they are all white or yellow foods. (laughs) And they're all pretty salty. The eating phases can be no foods that are touching each other on the plate. Mm -hmm. No foods that have anything but a smooth texture. No foods that are not white. The other side of that continuum, and some children have sensory motor sensitivities. They have food revulsion. And I talk about that in the chapter in Skin Knee. And the other side of the continuum is these children have never been hungry. Mm -hmm. Ever. So what we're doing is cutting off the instinct to eat to survive yeah. because mom is busy using the cookie cutters and making the dips and hiding the nutrition inside <laughs> the, the mac and cheese. Yeah, cauliflower, right? chicken nuggets. I do those tricky things for sure. Exactly. And this is where looking at children in other countries is so inspiring because they have very different pellets and very different food tolerance. Mm-hmm. In America, we have this concept of children's food versus adult food. And then we're worried about two things. One, very basic one, nutrition. And the other is, what kind of person are you turning into that is so picky and demanding? And I feel like as a parent, I'm a cross between a five-star restaurant when they get a little bit older with room service, a concierge, a maitre d'. And then we think back, and this is not your generation, but one generation before you of the go to bed without your supper. I know. As a punishment. Right. And we don't want to do that, but somewhere slightly to the right of the using the cookie cutters and doing the song and dance. And maybe you could wear a little uniform with an apron and a hat (laughs) and a little sign. I have so much time to do all of that. Exactly. That's the point. (laughs) That is absolutely the point. So you exhaust yourself 
trying to serve, please protect, nourish, and keep alive the other people that are in your family. Yes, you're speaking my language. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I just talked to someone who was like, I feel like you should get your adrenals checked. Uh, I think you're having adrenal fatigue because you're just living life to serve everybody except yourself. And I think this is the trap that parents get into, right? Especially moms, right? Generally, we're just serving, 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 doing, 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 pleasing, pleasing, pleasing to two five-year-olds that are like so demanding. And you're like, I'm not going to eat it. And then just push the plate away. And so what do I do? Do I lock the refrigerator in the pantry and just say, this is your food for dinner? And if you don't want it, you'll be hungry. Is that the answer? So it is. And the more matter of fact you get about it and the less invested, the more helpful it is. So this is dinner. There will be food available again in the morning. But What I want to give them is more of a sense of agency. So even though they're just five and six, they're very sophisticated, immature, sophisticated. That's what the five and six-year-olds are like now. They are younger than five and six-year-olds used to be and also more sophisticated. (laughs) Family citizenship means that everyone has dignity. Do they know how to cook at all? They know how to make mac and cheese. That's embarrassing to say. No, it's not. because They can make peanut butter and jellies. They can make peanut butter and jellies. I want you to get a children's cookbook. Okay. Or maybe they will make one just for their age and to allow them to learn to use kitchen tools, including sharp knives, including cooking things on the stove. Unless there's some element of danger, there's no element of fun. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes a kind of, so they're like prisoners on a hunger strike and they're being force fed by the totalitarian government, you. Yeah. Okay. So kids will take any power struggle you give them. They can have that one or they can learn how to make food. Do you live in a place that has any kind of garden or kitchen garden? Yeah. Oh my God. I have an awesome garden. They help me do the gardening. I pick the lettuce. I'm like, do you want to try this? This is amazing lettuce. And they're like, no. No, 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 no. (laughs) Okay. So the minute you say it, and it's really interesting what just happened to your voice, because I've been talking to you for 18 minutes now, and your voice went up and you sounded more like a little girl. Oh. When you said that sentence, do you want to try this? This is amazing lettuce. So you become like a publicist. 
but sort of a low-level publicist. It's amazing. And I'm not going to mention to you about the minerals and the fiber in (laughs) lettuce. And it's organic because it's from our garden. And you'll just love it. And in order to have power and in order to have dignity and independence, they have to say no. Because they do not have too much control or power. There's a wonderful series of books by the Gazelle Institute, and you may have seen them in the bookstore. You're one-year-old, you're two-year-old, you're three-year-old. Have you ever seen those, Britt? Yeah. Uh-huh. And some of them have not been updated since 1987, which is helpful mm-hmm. yeah. okay. because your five-year-old, and I think it's in your five-year-old, it says your child is old enough to go to the market for you and pick up some of the groceries on their own. And this is what children don't have an opportunity to do. They don't have an opportunity for wayfinding because we have GPS. They are never alone. There are not other children playing outside on the street, so they can't run around in a little band of kids. Right. And they feel very confined. It's one of the reasons they adore Minecraft and Fortnite. Because... In those games, they get to do all the things they're actually longing to do, which is to construct things and climb over things and create weapons and grow things. And all five senses in the three-dimensional world, tasks, accomplishments, and satisfactions that they are deprived of with their indoor life the lovely curated garden their mom has with all the kinds of lettuces. (laughs) Do they have a chance to play in the mud at all? Yes. Where do you live? What part of the country? Okay, I'm in the Bay Area. And actually, we moved outside of the city of San Francisco before they were born. We live on trails. The biggest threat we have are coyotes. We let them actually go for it because I'm such a fan of like boys need to be, well, all humans need to be outside in the dirt. Like we give them a long leash on the dog analogy to go roam and explore. On those trails, how much can they do on their own? Are they ever out of your sight, but it feels safe and okay? On the trails, we haven't done that yet. I haven't let them just go on the trail and come back in an hour just because they're still five and yeah, six. Yeah. But on our street, there's a little playground up the street. I'll let them walk or ride their bike to and be out of my sight and come back. You let them go to the playground yeah. on their own and come back when they're ready? Yeah, if they're with each other or with, you know, there's a couple other kids on the street that they all go with sometimes. This is Highly rare and wonderful for them. Did I get a gold star? Did I get a gold star? (laughs) Lots of people would like to do that. They don't have a playground on their street, but lots of people are afraid. So I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Lenore Skenazy, and she would be a great guest on your podcast. She has a whole platform called Let Grow. And what she does is she tracks laws around the country that cause parents to get in trouble if children are outside of their sight for a moment or if they leave them at home alone or if they leave them in a car for 14 seconds. And her mission is appropriate freedom and independence for youth because it has so eroded. Yeah. 
And there are lots of great resources in Let Grow. So when the boys go to that playground and they come home on their own, do they tell you about what happened there? And I don't want you to ask them. If they spontaneously tell you, I want you to be curious. Sometimes, you know, sometimes it'll be like, I wanted to keep playing and he wanted to come home. And so they're like upset that one of them, sometimes they'll even walk our dog there and they'll be like, Pixel was like jumping around everywhere. I couldn't control him. (laughs) So they'll tell me little things like that. And these are really good problems. Negotiating dominance with your brother, negotiating cooperation and safety. They are providing stewardship of the dog's life. Everybody loves Pixel in your family. Everybody would be (laughs) heartbroken if anything happened to Pixel. And you are entrusting a five and a six-year-old to take proper care of that dog. Are there any cars that ever come on the street? Yes, but few. It's a cul-de-sac street. Great. Okay. But they could come. And you are trusting them to do this. When they come back from the playground, is there any difference whatsoever in their level of hunger and food tolerance at dinner that (laughs) night? Oh, I haven't correlated that together because they go at different times of the day. But that would be a really fascinating experiment. Basically, your point is if they were running around like boys should be, they're probably hungry for whatever's in front of them at some point because they've worked up an appetite. It's not just an appetite. It's the independence, the dignity, the adventure, the privacy, the secrets, the fun. Mm. They not only have to negotiate with each other and with Pixel, Mm -hmm. but with other kids that are in the playground. Who's going to go down the slide first? What if there's a kid who's acting a little bit like a bully? What if there's a shy kid that they could draw out? And when they do this, For example, when they have an opportunity to take care of an even slightly younger child, maybe there's a child there with a parent or a nanny, you can watch little boys stand taller Mm. and feel calmer and feel proud of themselves. Mm. Because one thing that's happening in the country in general is more girls are graduating from high school, more girls are graduating from college. And the boys are starting to feel like they're falling behind. It's the surprising turn of gender and power. And certainly we're not there yet. Right. But we do want to take good care of boys' pride, boys' healthy, dignified, appropriate pride. And it would not seem like a little trip to the playground was so wildly profound and important, but it is. Is there any difference to that that you would prescribed for parents of girls? Would they have the same type of instruction to let them go wild and free, like to the playground and back, et cetera? Certainly exactly the same. And then the other piece for girls has to do with Instagram dysphoria, Mm. which is comparing themselves to an idealized, very filtered, very selected view of women's appearance. And I've been watching eyelashes because it's so <laughs> interesting to see in our What does that lo- mean? Eyelashes. Eyelashes, my indicator, it's my little barometer of women's comfort with their appearance and their standards of beauty oh. and acceptable looks. So until the pandemic, I traveled around the country and the world when I'm lucky all the time 
giving talks. Yeah. And so I get to see a lot of local newscasts. And I've been doing this for 20 years. So I look at the women newscasters' eyelashes. And now it's sort of like spiders that reach all the way to (laughs) your upper eyebrow. And then I look at the men newscasters and I think, who had to spend more of their life preparing Mm -hmm. to be on the air Mm -hmm. and is likely a mom and is doing all the things you're talking about, you know, all the logistics and all the emotional labor and supply chain management Mm -hmm. and who just got to put on their suit and tie and show up. So that's the issue for girls. And it plays out in eating disorders, in self-injury, in trichotillomania, which is pulling out their hair. Wow. And so we worry about for girls, perfectionism and impossibly high standards. And what we worry about for a lot of the boys is giving up. Interesting. The way they feel power is the power to oppose expectations. Yeah, that's an interesting segue because we just had a parent-teacher conference for my older son. I always like to hear about that. So he's the six-year-old. His name is Ansel. And we've had consistent feedback with his last two teachers that Ansel is amazing. He's really intelligent. When he has like a step-by-step project or like a Lego kit that has a finite outcome, he's actually like leap years beyond what any kid his age is like. However, Ansel really needs to work on his growth mindset because if something is too obtuse or abstract, he shuts down. And when I say shut down, it's like paralyzed with anxiety, crying. He's a highly sensitive child. Anything where he doesn't know the outcome or feels confident in himself to get to the outcome is just a no-go from the start. So for your listeners who may not know, and this is so Bay Area, Carol Dweck is a Stanford professor who has written just so beautifully and helpfully about fixed and growth mindsets. I recommend all of her work. and. One of the surprising reasons children develop a fixed mindset is because they either are naturally endowed with abilities so things came easily to them and they didn't develop the Angela Duckworth, also grit, or because they've been praised a lot. Mm. And so they only want to do things that they're already good at. And what you can do to work on this with Ansel is not difficult. It is simply to shift from praising him, so saying that was amazing or you did such a good job, to saying, I can tell you feel proud about that. Or both of you came back from the playground in one piece, and I'm really glad to see how dirty you are. <laughs> Looks like you had fun. <laughs> that you focus on the process and not the product. Mm. You catch him being persistent. And it doesn't even have to be words. Some kids like to be touched and others don't. If Ansel doesn't mind, mm-hmm. you can sit down beside him, put down your device, yeah. and just smile at him when he's working hard at something. And that's the nonverbal communication that's very encouraging, not about the outcome, not about the product, but about the process. Yeah, we were told that one of the reasons might be because he has two high-functioning parents who have been more or less 
successful. And when I say more or less, I mean, there have definitely been bumps in the road, but it looks as if we've got it all together. And so we've been really trying to call out when we make mistakes like, oh, I burnt the French toast. I'm going to have to start over. Or we've been trying to do open-ended projects. So instead of a Lego kit, it's just like, let's all have Legos and see what we make. But it's just so hard for him. And then as a highly sensitive child, again, he freezes and there's like no return. And I don't know how to get him out of that. And I always try to put myself in his head, but then I feel like I'm not disciplining him enough. And like, he's getting off easy, if that makes sense. I don't know where to draw the line. You're thinking a little bit too hard about it (laughs) because you have two good resources available to you. One is Ansel and one is your husband. Mm -hmm. So for example, what did you burn? The French toast? That's what you burned? Yeah. So you can always consult with him. And this is a little bit of an acting job, but you can get very accustomed to it where you catch yourself and say, ah, it looks like it burned. I'm thinking about how to do it over again to consult with him so that you're using his wisdom, his sensitivity to a good end. Because Ansel will have good ideas about things. He shuts them down because he gets mortified and he's angry. He's angry Mm. when he's not good at things. When we are angry or shamed, our critical thinking does not kick in as well. So in gentle sort of situations where it's not very tense, you can tell him about some dilemma you're facing. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about oversharing. So you're not going to say to him, you know, I'm thinking about leaving your dad, but maybe it would be a good idea to stay in this marriage. None of that stuff. But to the other resource for you is your husband because he Mm -hmm. shares this temperament. And Mm -hmm. have you talked to him about what it was like when he was six? I'm sure his parents were not as attuned as the two of you are to your son. Yeah, exactly. And actually... He's the one who doesn't really discipline. And like at some point, I feel like to your point earlier, my kid's going to grow up as like super demanding, picky person because he's not given boundaries. And my husband and I have just different discipline styles. And Dave's point is like Ansel needs carrots, not sticks. And so he needs incentives and things like that, which we've been trying. But I do think think there's a point at which we have to draw a line. Like you can't go to school without shoes on. I know that your shoes might feel funny to you on your feet, but it's literally a rule at school that you need to wear shoes and he'll throw a whole temper tantrum that he doesn't want shoes. And my husband will talk to him about it for like 30 minutes or an hour. Whereas I just want to like pick him up and put him in the car kicking and screaming. So we get to school on time. I want you to talk to Ansel about this, not when it's time to go to school, and to say, we've been bumping into this problem of shoes and school. It's a rule at school that you have to wear shoes. How can we avoid this in the morning? So again, he's your very wise consultant hired from a top consulting firm in Silicon Valley. He's brilliant about this. And he may give you terrible ideas, and he may say, I want to go to school without shoes, but not trying to solve it in the moment. And Mm -hmm. I want you to have really firm rules, but not too many. And for you and Dave to get together, and not the whole program of discipline, but the basics. Do the boys 
flush the toilet after they use the bathroom? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Look how quickly you said yes. <laughs> you trained that you and Dave and the boys themselves have developed this habit that is automatic. Your goal is to make as much as possible automatic. Do they brush their teeth without being reminded? We brush them for them. Okay. Is that bad? <laughs> it's bad only if you loved doing it, I would say you can I brush, don't. I brush just... it until their wedding. <laughs> I thought like at seven or eight, they brush their teeth on their own. I just don't want them to get cavities because they're like just skimping out on the brushing. Please ask the dentist. I want you to ask your okay. dentist. You can have a telemedicine session or a phone call and say, for Ansel and his brother, should they be brushing their teeth on their own or should we continue to brush? Because the less that is on your agenda that is a little bit irritating and boring, the more <laughs> chance you have to have delightful experiences mm. with these little people. Because I'm looking forward to that. They are full of fun. They are very enthusiastic. They are not mm -hmm. all complaint. They are also ecstasy and joy and awe. Do they stay in their beds at night? Yeah, they do stay in their beds at okay. night. Okay, so they stay in their beds at night. They flush the toilet. <laughs> do they We're making progress here <laughs> no i want you to appreciate i really want okay. you to appreciate that they are trainable and trained that's true that's true um, they get dressed by themselves that's a plus it's huge so <laughs> you cannot imagine how many don't um so they get dressed by themselves both of them including the socks including socks and shoes yep sometimes shoes <laughs> okay it's great are there any grandparents around no. Okay. Any other friends, parents, are they ever, I mean, we're in this pandemic situation, which I is tricky, know. but before that, if they were at another family's home, do you ever get a report about how well they behaved or how rude they were and you have a sense that they'll never be invited back again? <laughs> no, I only get the anxiety report. Like we all wanted to go to the beach today for the play date, but Austin wouldn't get in the car. He broke down with anxiety or I tried to feed them lunch, but they refused everything I put in front of them because they don't eat those things. So that's why I like bring these things up because I'm like, at what point literally do you just oh, I get the food thing? We addressed that. The car thing is another thing. He won't get in the car with anybody, which makes it really difficult to have play dates or things like that which just seems like a deep anxiety. I don't know where it comes from. We didn't have like a moment where that was an issue. I was going to ask you. So there was no experience, mm -mm. no traumatic experience. I want you to read an article by Ellen Beattie Sandsetter. She's a Scandinavian child development specialist, and she wrote an article called The Antiphobic Effects of Thrilling Experience. Okay. And she says, without good and appropriate danger, children become phobic, fearful, and anxious. Oh. And she lists precisely the kind of activities that are the antiphobic 
activities. And they're really interesting and surprising. She talks about how kids need to be exposed to fire, water in which they could drown, travel at great speed, social and physical aggression. I would add to that extremes in temperature Mm. because it's a little bit like dogs. So there's a dog training program where the dogs are socialized to the world outside the kennel by walking on different surfaces, gravel, rocks, and mud, being on streets with loud trucks. Part of the program is seeing people dressed up like clowns Uh or wearing strange hats. This is for dogs. Yeah. Can I put my kids in this program? (laughs) Well, that's what I'm suggesting, actually. This is a business opportunity, Wendy. We got to do this. (laughs) No, this is exactly what I'm suggesting. So this is Austin who's anxious, not Ansel. Yeah. So they both have different anxieties that just freeze them up. But what I'm hearing from you is maybe we've like overparented them and aren't exposing them to enough phobia, fear-based situations that they conquer and learn how to get through to reduce that anxiety. And I want to call them fear-alluring situations Mm. because the children, and this is not just your family, if you talk to any school administrator, the anxiety Mm -hmm. in the kids. And I've been in practice for 35 years. I never used to get referrals from parents of anxious boys. The boys who were a concern were the boys who were acting out in school and hurting other kids or dangerous. And now almost all the parents who come to see me about their sons, it's anxiety. Whoa. Okay. Well, I feel normalized. So thank you for that. (laughs) Yeah, it is normal. And it is in part simply because of the way we live and our expectations and how our kind hearts, but ambivalence. And this is what the kids can smell. And before I said to you, I want you to act very interested about what happened in the playground without prodding and asking too many intrusive questions, that the more life experience that they have, taking care of little children taking care of Pixel. I'm so impressed, and I know I keep bringing this up, but that (laughs) they go to the playground by themselves with the dog. That's three highly precious creatures in your family. Mm -hmm. The other part is humor and fun. Mm -hmm. So the opportunity for laughter and silliness, and not what we see on the web, which is a lot of snark yeah. And superiority and indignation and righteousness. Right. But silly, playful fun. Do you have nicknames for the boys? Oh, yeah. All kinds of things. Ants, Ants Man, Ansolito, Ost. They both have terrible nicknames that like go with their actual names. But yeah, we do riffs of their names for sure. That kind of playfulness is also an anti-anxiety force. And it would seem so obscure. Why do nicknames have so much power? And it's because of the easy, low-level affection 
And it's very different than, you are so amazing and you're so special and your future looks magnificent, not quite like mine and your dad's, but maybe some pathetic version of it, since we don't know if there's going to be any planet left or any jobs for anybody, but we won't talk about that. We'll just talk about how wonderful you are. And they know. Yeah. They know that none of that is exactly true. So what you want to do instead is really ordinary stuff that Mm. is family citizenship, opportunities to be a genuine help, to be independent. Do they wash their own hair? No, they're still not showering. They're only taking baths. They'll sometimes shower, but they'll lean back in the bath. (laughs) So their head is like submerged and then I have to wash their hair. My highly sensitive child, Ansel, has a water sensitivity as well. So it's the salon and they don't give you a tip. Oh my God, you're so right. It's totally the salon. But we do not want to shame them one single bit for that. Well, what do I do? Do I just cut it off? What you do is say, I'm getting the idea that you're ready for this, but I'd like you to pick the shampoo you like best. We're always giving them both agency, responsibility, and opportunities for discernment because responsibility without authority is slavery. Mm -hmm. So we want to give them authority and responsibility And then you watch them grow more hardy. It's just like the difference between hothouse flowers and flowers who are out in a field and experiencing Mm -hmm. the wind and the temperature changes. They grow stronger roots Mm -hmm. and the blossoms take longer. Well, what if they're like, no, I really don't even like taking baths, much less washing my hair. So my choice is to not choose a shampoo. I'm not going to wash my hair. And it's one thing about the food because I could like, to your point, basically starve them until they're hungry enough to eat. (laughs) But with showering and bathing, what do you do there? So natural consequences are your friend. And a lot of times parents skip over the natural consequences. If you don't bathe, you get itchy, you get prickly, and nobody wants to hang around you because eventually you're going to smell. How often do they take these baths. Is it every night? We've now moved to like every other night. Yeah, do. These are boys. I know. Water. They're all allergic to water. So, And again, we have that continuum of a water sensitivity, a genuine one. And, oh, bath, yuck. You have to get undressed. It's water. It's soap. And I'm so excited about other things. So you want to make the program fit their basic inclinations, desire, and energy level, and at the same time, a modicum of health, safety, and sanitation. Okay. So if it's been like seven to 14 days and they still haven't bathed. No, and that's not an option. (laughs) That's where I bring the hammer. (laughs) And again, we want to talk to the dentist about how often they should brush their teeth and whether they should be doing it on their own, not how often. And- right. Ask the pediatrician. And a lot of this can seem sort of embarrassing and annoying that you would ask the pediatrician this question, but Americans are far too hygienic, and it's one of the reasons we don't develop some of the antibodies and antibacterial immune responses that we 
could use because yeah. we're so terribly clean. That's true. And I agree with that. So just starting to rethink some of these things. And it's all about the balance of power, responsibility, fun, safety, and health. Okay. And that is our time. It has been a pleasure to talk to you. Enjoy these boys. Keep <laughs> sending them to the playground and get them involved in the program of food and washing and cleaning up and responsibility. And then the balance of exhaustion and your adrenals will be in better shape. <laughs> Well, we solved so many problems today and I learned so many things. Dr. Wendy Mogul, thank you so much. And if you all have questions or comments or want to follow her, Dr. Mogul, where can we find you on the internet? I have a website, which is wendymogul.com and it's got the podcast and it's got every article I write and all the books and all the languages. And that's a very good place. wendymogul.com. That's a very good place. M-O-G-E-L. M-O-G-E-L, that's right. Different kind of mogul. And check out Nurture versus Nurture, her podcast, which is how I even came to love and know about her. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. I think I'm on my way to being a better parent. I'll at least drop some of the guilt for sure. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review. We'll catch you next time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Teach Me Something New, a production of iHeartRadio and Brit Co. I'm your host, Britt Morin. Find more information about each episode at Brit.co slash listen. You can also find me on social media. I'm at Brit or follow us at Brit and Co. Teach Me Something New is executive produced by Allie Ives and Allie Perry with additional production and sound design by Mark Lemmerjazy and Aaron Peterson.